onde kupi aku saha luochao cho kiaupu taiyao na hati chome genju kia chiyakusu tashi tan chome che toning to tekeo America noa. Yachimome tuke jeng vanchu Hamekusha and the two Jaha Kuo Luning Zong Jomet Che Toning King Pei Ying Chinya Oke Tashino Me or Tao Yi Yang Kuzong Kungale Kungyu Tao Kunjing Yao Kunche Yao Kunan Tsu Kyo Tanning No Kuchi Tatao mesa lingkang washi masa le lingkang tau itu cengje yusia hame cawme kel nyaw vanjengje kome atau luning zong zong cawme cengje tuning kuci tat dau me ken zan si lu ha zhong le kyang. Da si ku pao yi kong che ya ku o chao dao chuan ha dao zai kumong dao ku yao pu hat a dai ha dao chao kya ko lao hu pe lu church no ku zan si chua ya ya Cho lu ning zong go gu o chao chua vang chu ha vinu ji mo be chao ti ta shi nu hu be hai mong ha jing sa kyo ka tu mong zong zho be kyo be ka shan zho ka shen ye su ya be ji mo shan zho jing vang chu Hachi mo vanchu tuke hu chope chitu kimpe kepe kongtu yeng chinyo no nuno kusanta dao za ma pe no kata pe to ko tuto tashi kusanta kwa pe cho ka ngyun jong hata yeng jing king heng Kupe o pe lu ning zuo nu o chao zuo ha hu van chu vinu mon dao yi zu sha cha zuo pe o pe lu ning zuo nu ha zuo nu dao lu gong lun be. Okay, so I hope you guys understood that. Yeah. So for us who don't know Hmong, um, what I said was that um, because of God's mercy shown our grandparents, our parents, by sending them to America, we can have a better life, right? And so I think um, everybody who has made that journey um, for us today, um, <coughs> sorry. Um, but uh, let me uh, say a quick Bible verse for us. In Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 to 24, he says that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end, and they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. And so I think that's perfect for, um, for even our Hmong people, that, that God's mercies are new every day for us, and that not only have he, he, he um, shown us mercy by um, sending us here and, and for Christians to share the gospel with us, but even here in America, we are shown mercy every day. Uh, but today, the, the passage that we're going to be going through is um, in, chapter, in Romans chapter 12, and I'll be ver reading verses 1 and 2. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Romans chapter 12, um, verses 1 to 2. Um, I'll read this for us. This is, um, I'm reading the NASB version. Um, so it says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren... By the mercies of God, to present your bodies a holy and living uh, sacrifice, a living and holy sacrifice, 
acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Dearly, Father, Lord, I just thank you, God, for um, allowing us to come to a building to worship you, Lord. God, I know that we take a lot of things for granted. Um, and, 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 and living this life um, here is very difficult for us, Lord. Because there's a lot of sins in this world. There's a lot of evilness in this world. But God, I pray that we look to you and your son, Lord. God, and, and as we come to you today, Lord, to, to, to read your word, to listen to your word, to dwell in your word, I pray that you open our ears and our eyes and our hearts, Lord, so that we could respond to you, not out of obedient uh, obligation, but out of obedience of love, Lord. And so may you be with our people today, Lord. And so we love you, God. We thank you, God, for your mercies. And just now I pray, amen. <clears throat> and so up to this point, Paul has been speaking in the first 11 chapters on being made right with God, the love of God, God's grace, and the gift of faith. When, when Paul starts off this chapter, he, he starts off by saying, therefore. And so every time when an author, when someone writes therefore, right, it's, it's a result of what they've been saying, okay? And so as a result of all the 11 chapters of what I've been telling you, right, this is what you ought to do as a disciple, as a believer, Right? Because of the glory of God, because of the grace of God, because of God justifying you, because of his love, this is how believers, we ought to respond of those things. And Paul uses a specific word after therefore by saying he urges you. This word urge means a plea or to beg. Again, the word urge means to plea or to beg. So why does Paul use this word urge, right? Because he wants the believers in Rome to understand that what he is going to say after this word is of extreme importance for us, for believers. And I think in order for us to understand, sometimes we need to read the word of God with passion, with, with great tone in, in, in what the letter is saying. Paul saying, therefore I urge you. Right? Paul urges um, we'll get to what Paul urges after, but I want to focus on this word for a bit because I think it's important on how much we should emphasize it and how we should apply this word even to our lives in this context. Um, and so when I think of urge, I think of urgency. So if you guys don't know, uh, many of uh, me and some single adults in Sifu we went to a conference that we'll be sharing next week, Sunday. Um, we went to a conference about the second coming of the hope that is to come. Right, And so um, <laughs> it talks about how we should now have urgency to share, proclaim the good news, to live out the good news, to live a holy life for the good news. And so I want to ask us, do we have an urgency? Are we pleading? Do we have an urgency um, to, for this Christian life? Do we have an urgency to know of who Christ is, to know the gospel? Because Jesus is coming back. He's not waiting on us whether we're going to be made right with him or not. Jesus is going to come back, and we don't know when that's going to be. And so Paul, <clears throat> and so I think many times we don't feel the urgency to share the good news because I think we have a troubled understanding of what the good news really is, right? Or we ask the question, yes, I, I, I've heard the good news but do I really trust it? Do I really understand what that means? Right, so what is the good news? I believe Paul does a great job in sharing the good news in all of his letters. He never fails to connect every passage, every word of his letters to reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus, who is the Son of God, he came from his holy throne to earth to do what? to be the propitiation for our sins, Romans 3.25. Right? That the sacrifices in the Old Testament weren't good enough to satisfy the wrath of God. 
that you and I are not good enough to satisfy the wrath of God. Man cannot satisfy, satisfy God's justice apart from Christ's sacrifice. Jesus knew when he came to earth that he was on a mission to point people back to God the Father. Right? And, and he was on a mission to fulfill the law of God, to redeem God's people back to him. Right? Paul says in his earlier um, um, chapter, in chapter 3, he says that all people um, are sinful. Right? That, that, that there's none righteous, that all have sinned. Again, I want to say this, that all of us in this room are sinners. And that is why... And so why does Paul say that in the beginning of his letters? Because he needs us to know that in order for you to understand the good news, you need to understand that you are a bad news from the good news. That we are the ones who are sinners. We're the ones who are separated from God. That's why we need a good news. Right? That we're wicked, and so we need Christ. We need the Son of God to come and be the perfect sacrifice to atone for our sins of mankind. And so what, what does that mean now? Right? That means that you and I, if we put faith and trust in God, that through faith by grace in Jesus, we can now be justified. That when God sees us, we can be made right with God. That one day when we are on our deathbed and when we pass away and when we encounter the holy and living God, that he's going to tell you, you are my um, good steward and servant. And I know who you are. But with those that he don't know, the ones who, who, who aren't believers, the ones who don't faithfully, sacrificially give their lives for God, you know, say, I, I never knew you, right? And so we need Christ. We need his perfect sacrifice, right? Even though we were deserving of hell because of our sins and our wickedness, we now can have eternal life with God because of the blood of Christ washing our sins away. And, and I think some of us, we hear this over and over again, right? Why do you sh- share the same story? We already know about Jesus. We already know about the gospel. We know that, we, that Jesus came down to, to, to save us as sinners, right? I can go to my children's ministry, um, kids, and they can tell me, yeah, Jesus died for our sins, right? Let's go past that. That's, if that's, you know, we already heard that, Right? And so, if we already know what the gospel is, then why is it so hard for us to proclaim and share the gospel? Why is it so hard for us to live out the gospel to our families, to our workplaces, right? So I want to question us, do we really understand the gospel? It's important for us to make Christ known to everyone around you. And going back to the word urgency, proclaiming Christ, we can't have an urgency of sharing the gospel if we don't know the good news. That's why it's so foundational for us to know the good news, to understand the gospel. To, to, we need to come to a realization and conviction that we are the sinner. If you don't confess to God that you are a sinner, then you won't ever come to know of life in, in God and through him. And so to understand the gospel, you need to come to a realize, realization of that. That you have sinned against God Almighty, the one who is sovereign over all creation. That you can't comprehend, you can't understand the good news of Jesus if you don't know who you are without Christ. That without him, we are dead. That without him, there's so much evil in us. That without him, that we will make a lot of more mistakes than we do with him. Right? And that without him, we are lost. Because if you don't see Jesus as the only one you need in life, then you won't ever understand how great your sins are and how merciful his love is. That without Christ and him dying to satisfy the wrath of God, to give us a new life in him, to redeem us, we will be going to hell. And so if you're, if you're here at church today and you want to, for the first time, to give your life to God, to believe in the gospel, to put your faith in God, 
I encourage you to pray and ask for God's forgiveness. To think about what is separating, what is separating myself from God. What are the things that I am doing that is separating myself from God? And pray that he gives you a new heart. Pray that he gives you a new life. And I think most importantly, I want us to confess these things to someone who is a mature Christian. Because in order for us to, um, to have faith in God, I believe that there needs to be affirmation among other people around us. Meaning that other people need to affirm, yes, that you are a new creation now. That we see that. And then seek to share the news. And so someone must be asking, Jordan, why are you so stuck in this word urgency, right? Because I want us to know that the gospel is an urgent message. The gospel brings life to dead people. It brings about forgiveness. It it births forth hope. And so if we have the gospel, if we are a Christian, why are we so shy from, 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 from sharing this good hope? from this word of life to men and women who are, who, are, who are dead in their sins, right? It should be a joy and honor for us to share that, that God is giving us authority to share his word with people, to give them life. And I also want us to understand the tone of the word, urge. And it, gives it the, and it goes to the next point of what Paul is saying. So Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Remember that Paul is speaking to believers here. He's saying, believers, remember the mercies of a God. Right? And that this should be, the mercies of God should be our motivation as believers to present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God as our true worship to God. I want to highlight this word worship and I want to let us know what it means is that worship is not the songs we sing, but worship is an expression of reverence or respect and adoration for God. Okay, worship is not just songs. Worship is a reverence or a respect to God, an adoration that we see God and we're like, we're in awe of who he is because we see his glory, we see his love, right, his adoration. And so that our bodies are to be a living, holy, and acceptable to God as an act of worship. Because Paul says, by his mercies, this should be your motivation. I think many times we get grace and mercy mixed up. But they're two different meanings, but yet they sound very similar. So the word mercy means that even though we are deserving of death, that we deserve death, right? God sent his son down to show compassion, to show kindness on us so that we could be saved. That's what mercy is. Grace is this, that you don't deserve anything good, right? There's nothing you do deserve, but God has has, uh, has shown compassion and kindness. He has given you new life. That is grace. Right? So again, Paul is saying that to the believers in Rome that your motivation is to live this sacrificial life is by God showing you mercy. Everything that I previously said about the gospel, right? The reason why I talked about the gospel in that way is because God's mercy is upon us. And he shows it through his son. Sinners like you and I are shown mercy by God sending Jesus to earth to be the perfect sacrifice so that we won't be judged for our sins on the day of judgment. But instead, we are now seen as righteous in God's eyes because of Jesus and what he has done. And so that is why we are in need of mercy and we are in need of grace. Because if you don't understand the mercy of God... Look at the cross. That, that, that Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross. That his blood was shed for our iniquities. That God had to send his son 
to, to, to take the, his wrath. And so he died so that we may have life in him and only him. And when I think of mercy, I think of how my parents showed me mercy growing up. Um, I would say that I was, I was the worst sibling out of my siblings, right? I gave my parents the most headache, okay? I would, I would go out and, and, have, and go and enjoy my time with my friends, right? And I would do things without letting them know, right? I lie to them. I disrespect them. I talk back to them. For what? Because I, wanted, I was selfish, I didn't care for the authority of my parents, and so I disobeyed them. But like parents do, they, they, what do they do? They, they, they continue to love us, right? Why? Because we are theirs. And so my, my, my parents showed me a continuance of love by, by sending me off to Bible college, to Crown College. And, and I didn't deserve it. They could, they could have told me, um, no, we don't want you to go. That's too much money. Um, and we don't, want, we don't support you in this. Right? They could have told me that. But no, what they did was they worked overtime. They worked hard. They worked two jobs so that their son, so that I could go to, to, to Crown College to be equipped to learn about God's word. Right? And they did that because what? Not because of what I did, because I did a lot of bad things to them, because out of their mercy, out of their mercy, they're like, Yes, son, we will send you because we love you. Right? Um, and I, I don't mean to boast about my parents, but if you are a parent, right, and, and I know many of us can be in that stage, I encourage you to listen to your children. Ask them, why is it that they want to go, right? And how can we show mercy upon our children to do that? Right? Ask them of these things. And I know that many of us can reflect of how our parents shown us mercy throughout our lives and our friends who have shown us mercy in our family. But I think the most important mercy that we need to know is that God has shown us mercy, right? That, Jesus, that, that, that God is showing us mercy every single day of our lives by God. Paul is, Paul is urging us to present ourselves a holy and living sacrifice because of the mercies of God. And so the important question we must ask ourselves now is that, okay, we understand that mercy should be our motivation, right, as believers. So then how do we do that? How do we live a life because of the mercies, right? How can believers present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice as an act of worship? Right? So when Paul writes uh, of presenting our bodies to God, he's saying that you need to give your entire self to God. That no, you don't just give your Sundays to God. You, you give every single day to God. That every single day, when you're at work, when you're at home, right? When you're um, <clears throat> in your studies at school, it's going to reflect who your worship is. It's going to reflect if you believe in God or not. And so we too are to give an offering by giving our entire self to God, that our minds, our souls, our body is, is to be an offering to God. Because if God's word says for us to give our entire selves as an act of worship to him, to be sacrificed for his glory, then if all we do is come to church on Sundays and we think that that's, that's all God asks of me, that's all I want to give to God, it's just my Sunday, then we need to reevaluate, do we really believe in this God that we claim? We need to repent of our sins because if we really think that Sunday is good enough for our worship to God, then that's not good enough. Because we are being selfish and we are being prideful. And so when people ask me, is, does being a church member, is that good enough for me to be a Christian? Is that it? Do I just need to sign my papers and, and have Sifu look over and be like, okay, he's going to be a church member. Is that enough for me to be a Christian? And every single time, the answer is going to be no, that's not good enough. 
Because Jesus, what did he do? He sacrificially lived a life for the glory of God. And he wants us to do the same. To sacrificially give our lives as an offering to God. And Paul does a great example of that. He's a man who sacrificially gave his life as an offering to God. And how did he do that? Paul was beaten. He was literally beaten for Jesus. He was thrown in jail because of the gospel, because of this news. There's many times where he almost died if we read in Acts. Paul also encouraged and wrote letters to churches and to people. And so you ask, why, why does these things happen to believers, to, to Apostle Paul? This is what believers, this is what, this is what God calls us to. If you want to be a follower of Christ, I guarantee you, one of these, one of these things are going to happen to us. Right? There's people overseas right now who literally are being beaten because of their faith. And I know that we can't reciprocate that because we're not going to be being here in America, right? Then that means that, I feel like that's even more scary for us because we are so comfortable with our lives, right? That we aren't being, being beaten for our faith. So we physically can't say, oh yeah, I will follow Jesus because we don't know the sufferings of what they're going through. Right? But even here, we have, our only, we have our own daily sufferings that I would say being too comfortable with your sin is, uh, is, is, is a daily struggle that you need, you need to repent of. And that is what we struggle with. And so Paul, these things happened to the Apostle Paul because he understands the urgency to give himself of all of him to the glory of God, right? These things happened to him because he urgently preached the gospel, right? And he didn't care what people thought about him. He's like, no, you guys are going to understand the gospel. I am going to preach the gospel to you, right? And no matter the outcome, no matter how you respond to what I say, right, glory to God. Right? No matter what. He can be beaten. He can be in jail. No matter what, he is going to give God the glory. And so I want us to closely read and, and look at what kind of offering Paul is asking of us. Right? He added holy and acceptable to God. And so, so when I read that, I read that there is a right way of worshiping God. Right? Going back to the Old Testament, just because they gave burnt offerings of animals to God doesn't always mean that it was pleasing and, and acceptable to God. Jews, um, Jews would come to Jerusalem, right? And they would bring offerings to sacrifice before God as an act of their need for God, okay? And so God would expect only the first of their offspring of animals, meaning he only expects the best of their herds and their flock, and so this offering of their best livestock is significant because it reflects their worship of how they view God. And so if they gave their best and they view God as, he is everything that I need, right? But there was many people who did not give God their best. They gave God pretty much their leftovers. And so, like I said, if God has a standard for how he wants um, us to offer ourselves to him, right? How they offer their animals to him. Then even though if they, if, they, if they offer their leftovers, he doesn't care, right? Because it's not um, their best. Because they think lowly of God if they're giving God their leftovers. And so I think this is true of how many, how many of us respond in giving up ourselves to God. We think that any form of our worship, right, anything that we say, any way that we think, right, is holy and acceptable to him, right? Just because we sing songs of worship 
Just because we sing music, just because we listen to music of Christianity, that means that that's good enough. No, but God has a standard of how we are to worship him, right? Just because we think that we pray for, for, for um, our food, right? But we're not on our knees praying for people to be saved, and we think that that's good enough. I'm going to encourage you to keep praying for your food, but I'm just saying that if that's all of our prayer, that's not good enough. And I think this is probably why tithing is an afterthought. Then let me pay for my bills. Let me pay for, let me buy things that I need first. And then God, if I have $20, $40, I'll give that to you. This is why I think that what we do in ministry here at church, it really matters to God, that God has a standard of how he wants things done. Right? But, but we think that we are doing the Lord's work, right? that everything we do is holy and acceptable to him. But I want to remind us that we can plan and do all the ministries we want here, but the events and weekly ministries But the most important thing we need to ask and be in prayer of is that is what we are doing, is what we are planning acceptable, holy to God. We can do whatever we want in our ministries, but if it's not holy and acceptable to God, then why are we doing it? So I encourage us to ask those questions. Because God is asking for a holy and acceptable sacrifice. Because this is how he standards. He has a standard for that. And I believe that the way we are to offer a holy sacrifice is by being set apart from this world. By not doing the things of this world. By not saying yes to sin. But saying that no, I want to turn away. That in our entire being, we are to be set apart from sin. We are to live a life of sanctification. To yearn to do good and not evil. To do what God commands of us in his word. To choose to do what is right from wrong. By making the right decisions in life, we can present ourselves as holy by doing that. Paul says that this is your spiritual um, service of worship. How you sacrifice yourself to me, that shows me who you worship. Whether you worship me with your best or you give me your leftovers. And you you can reflect on, on that in your own life. Because Paul says this is your spiritual service, that, that your entire self, you are to do an act of worship to God. You and I are to live a merciful life towards God and others, to reveal the glory of God as our worship. I know it may sound like a lot of works-based faith, but Paul continues in verse 2. He says in verse 2, okay? And do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And so Paul says, do not, compete, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So there's a positive and negative statement that Paul makes, okay? So the negative is being conformed. If you, if you guys don't know what the word conform means, that it means that it refers to an assuming, an outward expression that does not really reflect what is inside, Okay, so let me bring that down to us. Okay? Meaning that, right, we, at the masquerade, we talked about putting on the mask, right? And so meaning that you put on a mask that people see you on Sundays, and they think, oh, yeah, you're a Christian, right? And so you, you, you come to Sundays, right, and you say, oh, I listen to worship songs. I, will, I listen to Christian songs, right? And you tell people at, at, at um, work that, oh, maybe, yeah, I'm a Christian, right? But on the inside, right, on the inside, you know nothing about God. You don't know his word. You don't have a relationship with him, right? When somebody asks you, what is the gospel? You can't reiterate that because you don't know the gospel, right? And so conforming to the world, you're putting on a mask. Saying that, yes, I'm, up here I'm a Christian, but on the inside, who are you really, right? But, but Paul has a positive statement too, saying that, Transformation means a change in outward appearance by bringing about the inner appearance. Okay? And so if we're to be transformed, then that means that 
what we know about God, the faith we have, and our knowledge of God in our mind and in our hearts, right? if we are genuine believers, then what's going to happen is that that's going to flow out into the way we act. right? The more we know God, the more we are in fear of God, the more we love God right? from a mind to our heart. That's going to flow out, and our lives are going to be transformed, and people are going to see that, okay? And if people don't see our lives transforming, then I think you got to ask yourself, am I more conforming to this world, or am I being more transformed? But I think many people say, well, isn't that hard not to conform to the patterns of this world, right? Paul, we live in this world, so how can we not be conformed by this world, that this world is all around us, right? Some of us may be asking that. But this is what Jesus says, right? Jesus says in John chapter 17, verses 15 and 18, he says, he's talking to his father. He says, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. And so Jesus is saying, is, <coughs> Jesus is, is, is saying, because we are in this world, that does not mean that we need to be the same as the world in the way they act, think, and feel. That yes, yes, we are of this world, but we are not to be a part of this world. We are not to do the same things of this world. Because Jesus said, you need to be sanctified in truth. And so if the truth is like this world, then we totally don't understand what truth is. The truth is in the word of God. And so if this world are doing things that the word of God is not saying you to do, then, then how, how much of this world are we in? That the things of, of this world, that we don't need to be attracted to the same things. That the things that this world is doing, we don't, to be, we don't need to do the same things. I think the most important thing that we have to ask ourselves is that when people come to Green Bay Moonrise Church, do they see people who do the same things like this world? When they come into your homes, when they come into your workplace, do they see you doing the same things as this world does? Or do they see genuine believers who are in adoration and reverence to God, who fear the Lord, right? And who are being faithful and reading the scriptures, who are genuine believers. And that's a call for all of us to ask ourselves that. And so Paul answers how we shouldn't be conformed to the world by us being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Again, transformation is a change in outward appearance from the inwardness, right? That what, we, that what and how we feel inside will be a genuine change of what we do on the outside of how we speak and act. And so when you learn more about God and who he is, then if you, and if that's true in your mind, then that should come true in your heart. And so now your life should reflect that because of a genuine love and worship for God. So I would say that this is probably the most important task that you must do as a believer, to have your mind renewed. And so this happens fully on the work of the Holy Spirit who changes our minds, who changes the way we think, the thoughts that pop up in our head. And so this change and renewing of the mind can only happen if we are reading, studying, meditating, and dwelling on the Word of God. You cannot know God if you are not reading or studying the Bible. Most importantly, you cannot be saved if you do not read or listen or dwell in the Bible. Because if we do not read the Bible, then we have no idea what it means to be saved. We have no idea who saved us. We have no idea that what we are being saved from. This is what believers do and are to do, to know the scriptures. And so Tuesday for St. Odell Bible Study, we had a discussion 
Someone asked the question, how can obedience turn from obeying out of obligation to obeying out of love? Right? Again, how can obedience come from obeying out of obligation to obeying out of love? And so I believe that Paul's word of renewing the mind answers that question in full. Right? The reason why I say that is because in order for you to be obedient out of love, you must know why you love. If you don't know why you love that person who is telling you to do something, then you're going to do it out of obligation. Right? But if you know why you love that person, right? and if you have a genuine love for that person, then that's going to be an obedience out of love, not out of obligation. And so if, if, if what I'm telling today, you, you think that, oh man, Jordan's just saying all these things that we're not good enough, right? Because I want us to reflect, do we really love God? Do we know why we love God? Because if what I'm saying shouldn't be an obligation for us, it should be an obedience out of love. So yeah, Jordan, what you're saying, what God's word is saying, that yes, I want to be more obedient. I want to be more holy, more acceptable, right? Not out of obedience, obligation, not out of obligation, but because of obedience out of love. And so in order to love someone, you have to know them first. That is why Paul stresses, stresses for us to be renewed in our minds. We cannot be transformed if we are not dwelling in God's word. The Holy Spirit guides us in his word so that we can know God, of God's will. Again, the Holy Spirit guides us in his word so that we can know God's will. It sounds so simple, but this is the reason why so many of us become dry in our faith, right? We think, oh man, this is such a dry season in my life. You want to know why? Because we're probably not in the word of God. We are not praying to God. And so we aren't growing in our faith because we are not constantly diving or dwelling into the word of God. Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says this in chapter 4, verse 12. He says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrows, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So the author is saying that God's word pierces our hearts, that when we read it or when we're listening to it here, that it's going to pierce your heart. And so if, if that's the case, then I always tell people there's always three responses of how people respond to God's word. Number one, believers. If you're a disciple, if you're a believer, then you're going to feel convicted you're going to feel convicted of God's word. You're going to confess your sins, right, out of response to God's word, and you're going to change. That's what believers do. All right? You can be a passive Christian. You can be someone who, okay, yes, I, I agree with what he's saying. And then after, after, after the sermon, you're going to go home, and you're going to be like, yeah, I forgot about it. It doesn't affect me. The third response is when the word of God pierces you, you want to know what's going to come out? Your selfishness, your pride, your anger, your hatred toward me or God's word. Why? Because, again, the word of God pierces at your soul. It's going to flesh out your sinfulness. The, the, the secret sins that you have that nobody else knows, that's going to come out. And so how you deal with that is your response to God and his word. And so this is why people don't read the word of God because it points out their sins. Not a, not a lot of us like to admit that we are sinners. We don't even like to talk about it. And so Sunday service is okay with us, right? This setting is okay with us because we can come to church, we act like we're listening, and then we go home and, the, and his words doesn't affect us. But if you are a born-again person, a believer, God's word will affect you and change you. It may be instantly. You might leave here and instantly you're changed. But many times, you may, it may gradually grow that you need more prayer, that you need accountability for that sin, right? In order for us not to be conformed to this world, 
is by being transformed by the renewing of our minds, by being trans- renewed by God's word so that we can have God's thoughts and not our own sinful thoughts. Our thoughts leads to death. It leads to evilness. But God's thoughts and his will is good and perfect. And so as we continue to read and learn about God, our minds should start to change. And we should become more repentant of our sins. And we should become more humble in how we preach approach this life again <clears throat> the, the the more we continue to read and learn about God's word our minds should start to change we should become more repentant of our sins we should have more of a humble character in the approach to the life that God has given us and how we should be more humble in our conversations of how we have with people or the lost to be more like Christ, John, John 3, 30 says this when Jesus says, or when they say, he must increase and I must decrease, right? This is why Bible studies are so important. And that's why I encourage you guys to come to Bible studies on Wednesdays. That's why I encourage the youth to come, the same adults, come to these Bible studies so that you can be sharpened. This is why reading your Bible on your alone time with God is so important that, so that we can be cleansed and understand who God is and how sinful we are and how much of a need we are for God. Transformation comes by the word of God because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Transformation does not come just because we read the word of God, but because we read the word of God, the Holy Spirit needs, is acting and working in our thoughts and our minds. And so the more we Read and encounter God's word, the more we are convicted by the word of God. We can prove the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I love how R.C. Sproul says this. R.C. Sproul, he says, This is the will of God. Your sanctification. If you guys don't know what sanctification means, it means that you're being made holy, you being set apart from your sins, set apart from this world meaning that you're not going to do the same things. You're not going to be a sinful person. You're going to be more like Christ, more holy and acceptable to him. So he says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. It doesn't matter what our job or whom we marry or what city we live in. Just for context, he's, the reason why he says this is because a lot of people ask, God, what is your will for my life? What is your will for me to marry this person or not? Is it your will for me to get this job or not? Is it your will for me to live here or not? Right? A lot of people ask that question. But it doesn't matter what job you have, who you marry, or what city you live in in that context. Okay? Because if we are not growing in sanctification, seeking God's will about such things are worthless. God's will for each of us is that we grow into spiritual maturity, that our lives become more fully set apart and consecrated by the Holy Spirit. And that our minds are changed after that we will be able to tell what is pleasing to God. Then we will be able to know what he wants us to do. That good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so that the will of God is for us to be sanctified. So in church, we need to realize that how we worship God matters. What we are offering to God matters. How we live our lives matters. What we watch on TV, what we are filtering in our minds on the internet, on social media, that's either going to give God the glory or that's going to leave us more sinful. How we use our time here on earth matters. And most importantly, how we, who we worship matters. Because how we live our lives, or lives is going to reflect, reflect who or what we are worshiping. See, from eternity past to eternity future, God is the same yesterday, today, and, the, and tomorrow. He, and God has a standard of how we ought to worship him and, we, and how we ought to think about him. God isn't just a God who is in heaven waiting to judge us. Oh, yeah, let me wait until judgment day so I can judge the people I created. No, God is alive and active in his Holy Spirit with his creation now. And, he, and his will is seen through his word, scriptures, and through the lives of his disciples. And so I believe Paul wants us to know in this passage, okay, Paul wants us to know in this passage that God's good and acceptable and perfect will is for us to live a life of true worship. All right? Again, 
God's good, acceptable, and perfect will is for us to live a life of true worship. My hope for all of us after this worship service is that we leave more broken and empty so that we can look to Christ to fill us of himself and, we to, see him, and to see him worthy of our worship. So that is my prayer for us. So let us all um, pray and then we could um, head on out, okay? Let's all bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, God, we see that in your letter of Romans, that you have a standard for how we are to live, how, how, how we are to offer ourselves, how we are to be transformed. God, I pray that this worship time not be a time where we just come again on a Sunday and and leave without having a care in the world about your word and, and how it convicts us. But as we leave this place, Lord, may we continue to have conversations of our sins about your word so that we can sharpen one another. And so when people look at our church, they see a people who are yearning, crying to know more of the Lord so that we can be sanctified. God, may you forgive us of our sins. God, we know that we're not perfect. But we know who is perfect, and that is you, Jesus. And so, God, I pray that we look to be transformed by our minds, by the word of God, so that we could be more like you, Lord Jesus. That we could be a husband who is more like Christ, who loves our wives more like Christ, so that our wives could submit to our husbands more and help them more to be more like Christ. For our children, for our young people here, to be obedient in how we respond to our parents, to respond to authority out of love. God, we, 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 we are living this life and we are battling this world and our sins. I pray your Holy Spirit continue to work in us, Lord, to continue to reveal to us, Lord, that your love is far greater than any riches or treasures in this world, Lord. And God, I pray that we offer ourselves to you, not out of obligation, but because of the mercies that you have shown us. God, we, we want to give you our praise and our worship today, Lord. And as we go on from this place, Lord, may you continue to protect us from the evil one, to keep us safe in your word and in your arms, Lord. And that I pray that we continue to do our best to give you our best, or to live a life of holiness, to live a life set apart from this world, to be less sinful but more holy. God, we love you and we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.